people who live inside your promise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Um, sorry, I was a little bit I was a little bit late there. I got caught up in the song, and then the song ended, and I was like, oh no, I gotta be out there. And then here we are. So, and I know that you're like, you're early, Dan, and I'm not. Uh, we planned this. We're doing two songs, and then I'm going to talk for a while, and then we're going to do uh, communion, and then we're going to have uh, one of the songs will be like while we're doing communion, and then there's going to be two more songs, and then we're going to be done. So all of you that are like, the guys stopped talking. I'm going to leave now. You got to stay. We're not allowed to do that today, okay, because I know that you do that sometimes. I see you. Sometimes it's my job to be at the, at, the, at the Discover Gateway booth, and it's just like you're just sneaking by me like, oh, no one's going to know. I know. <laughs> I want to thank you guys for being here. My name is Dan Taylor. I'm the campus pastor. Um, welcome to our Christmas season. And, uh, yeah, w one woo. And, uh, and, and that is a quite natural way to enter Christmas season at this time of year, right? Because Darian already did it. There was a little bit of ambivalence, right? Because let's be honest, Christmas season, as fun as exciting as it is, and it makes some of us go woo and yay, there's a lot of us that it makes it goes like, oh, right again, right? Because this is, this is like, it, it feels like a lot of pressure. And this time of year is very loud, and it is very shiny, and it is very busy, and it occupies a lot of our attention. And, and for some of you, this was the greatest time that you had with your family all year long. And if that is you, praise God, I want to celebrate that with you. But there's some other people that this was tough. And it's gotten tough, right? And the bright lights and the loud music and the ugly sweaters, why do we have to wear ugly sweaters? Why can't we have beautiful sweater parties? Um, <laughs> no, no, they're not. <laughs> he said all the sweaters are beautiful. No, they are not. <laughs> I will fight you on this. No. <laughs> but we get that it's busy, you know, and, and, and we get ambivalent this time of year. And one of the jobs that we have as a church is to, to come together and remind each other of what is true and what is important. And that becomes even more important the busier and louder and shinier that the world gets because it's so distracting. And we find ourselves chasing things that don't matter and investing our time and effort and energy in things that don't last. And we want to be reminded of what is true and what is good and what is holy and what is eternal. Are you with me? Okay, so that is why this year we are talking about the king coming. Because even in this season where we're trying to, add, where, we're, where we find ourselves getting lost in the midst of a, a, just a loud holiday season that just seems to be a money-making opportunity for Canadian Tire, we find ourselves asking the question, what is Christmas all about? And we want to remind each other again of probably the most famous answer that has ever been given to the question, what is Christmas all about, by reminding each other again of these words. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared unto them. Can we go to the next slide, please? And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born in this, this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And at Christmas time, we remember this. That at a time roughly 2,000 odd years ago, God stepped into the story of human history and said, It's different from now on. I've made promises in the past that I was going to send a king who was going to bring justice and peace and holiness and restore and renew and repair everything that is broken. And roughly 2,000 years ago, God said, I'm doing that now. And we live in the reality of that new world that was created in Jesus. And we live in it incompletely because Jesus' work, as much as his work of salvation is finished, the reality is this world is not completely repaired and renewed yet. One of the hardest things about the Christmas season is all of the shoulds that it brings upon us, right? We see the decorations in the magazines and we're like, oh, my house should look like that. Or we watch the movies that have the perfect families gathered around their giant dining room tables that seem much too large for any real square footage of any home that anyone could possibly purchase. And we say, my family should look like that. Or we see the, the person being overly, we, we see in the other films, or we see the stories of the person being all overly altruistic and be like, I should be like that. And this is a season where we're just full of shoulds. And some of those shoulds are lies, and we should dismiss them. Your family is your family. It should be the healthiest it is. Your table needs to fit in your room, not in somebody else's giant room. Everyone should wear all of the sweaters that they love and think are beautiful and disregard my opinion on the beauty of their sweaters. Right? Like that. Some of those shoulds are lies, but some of those shoulds are true. Because it feels to us like five people shouldn't have died in this city because of cold this week. It feels like countries shouldn't be invading each other. It feels like we should not be judged or discriminated against or, or, or pushed aside because of the people that we happen to know or how much money that we happen to have in a bank account. And those are the shoulds that we, pay that we ought to listen to. Because one of the things that happens in this season is we're reminded that the king is coming, and I want to promise you that what we're told throughout the Bible is that the king that is coming is a king of justice. Okay? And Jesus endorses this quite by, this isn't just endorsed by Jesus at this moment with good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. He also endorses this later in his ministry when he's a fully grown man out in the world. Can we go to the next slide, please? In uh, Matthew 12, Jesus, uh, he, he heals a person on the Sabbath. And, and the, the religious people are really mad about it because you're not supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath, like heal people. And... Uh, and then, but Jesus does, and he argues and says, like, well, 
I'm, I'm going to heal people on the Sabbath. And, uh, and then, but then it writes this. This was f- to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant who I am chosen, the one I love in whom I delight, and I will put my spirit on him. And this is all quoting from Isaiah 42. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out till he has brought justice through victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. And it's really important for us to remember in this shiny time, in this loud time, in this distracting time, that the king that is coming isn't coming just so we can buy more things. The king that is coming is not coming so that we can have better relate just so we can have better relationships with our family although that's a really good thing. The king is coming to bring justice. And I think for us as followers of Jesus sometimes we lose sight of what justice actually means biblically. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. So we're going to go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Is where we're going to start. So Deuteronomy is a fascinating part of Scripture because it's basically, they're about to go into the promised land. It's the second reading of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means in Latin. And God is laying out through Moses for his people, this is what your society is supposed to look like. You're going to go into this, uh, into this, in, into this land, you're going to take it over, and you're going to be your own society, your own ethnic group. No one's going to be in charge of you. This is what your society is supposed to look like. And one of the things that he says is that, uh, that, that the laws that God gives them is that you shall appoint for yourselves judges and officers, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice, you shall not be partial, and you shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice, and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The primary task that God gives the leaders of Israel is to love him and worship him alone. And the secondary thing that they're supposed to do for each other is to do justice. Because justice is what love looks like in public. If you love people, that's Cornell West, by the way, but that's, if, if you love people, you're not necessarily going to have the same feelings for strangers that you are for your family. That's perfectly normal. But if you genuinely love your neighbor, you're going to want to ensure that, that they have the exact same access to the exact same resources that you do. That's what justice looks like according to the Old Testament. And their entire society was geared towards ensuring that their leadership provided justice independent of impartiality. One of the greatest sins that you can commit in the Old Testament, after idolatry, so the first sin is idolatry. You replace God with something else, either a, a, a literal figure. Or most of the time, your idol is built in your own heart. But the first, uh, the first thing that breaks down in idolatry is that you decide that you can take what you want from other people with impunity. And this goes not just from their own judges and people who were involved in that, but all the way up to the king. In the book of Deuteronomy, when, when, when God lays out the law for what kings are supposed to do, uh, it, it lays out three don'ts. He, the king is not supposed to collect a big army. He's not supposed to collect a bunch of wealth. And he's not supposed to, to gather a bunch of wives, because those are the three ways that kings generally get screwed up, right? That's bad news for any powerful person. You shouldn't have many... Uh, wives, you shouldn't have many 
uh, hoard all, a whole bunch of money and you shouldn't hoard a big army. Instead, the king's job was to read the law every day and be a legal scholar in order to provide justice for the people. Okay? Justice is the reason that God has a society exist. Okay? And this has some very specific ramifications. If we can go to the next one. Okay? So, what does it look like to not be partial and to provide justice? Well, don't provide the, don't, do not, it goes on later, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. So, ancient world was crazy. Uh, and, and I just want to, we got to point out some stuff. Uh, in the ancient world, I don't know if you're going to be able to believe this, but in the ancient world, rich people were sometimes able to influence the justice system the way they wanted it to go. <laughs> Crazy, right? And sometimes, in the ancient world, people that had a lot of money were able to take advantage of people who didn't have a lot of money. Good thing we live in a great society now, right? But God is very specific. You don't take advantage of the foreigner in your land. A lot, of, a lot of scholars translate this word as refugee. Because God says, as followers of G, as, follow, as people, the people of Israel, you were once refugees in Egypt. You were once oppressed people. So because you remember that you were oppressed people, you don't take advantage of people when you get the opportunity to do that. It's really, really simple. Okay? Don't take advantage of people because you can. And this is a really important thing for us to understand because I'm, I'm not an economist. I read the Bible a lot. That's really the only thing that I understand. So I don't understand when people are like, communism, social democracy, capital, I don't know what they're talking about. But this is what I do know and can say very clearly about the Bible. The Bible understands that there is not always going to be equal division of resources, okay? So the Bible understands that some people are going to have a lot of stuff and some people are going to have a little bit of stuff. And that's just the way that the world is. The Bible seems to understand that. With the Bible, so even though there is unequal distribution of resources in the Bible, the Bible is quite clear, though, that there ought to be equal distribution of dignity. And one of the things that marks us as the people of God is that we recognize that people have equal value regardless of the resources that they have access to, regardless of their political power or influence, regardless of their fame, regardless of their physical appearance, regardless of their ethnic origin or country of birth, that people have equal dignity because they are created in the image of God. And if we don't believe that, then we are no longer in the tradition of God, okay? really clearly. And this needs to change in our own hearts and minds because this really forms us as human beings when we begin to notice and accept the reality that in God's eyes, the five people that died of cold in our city this week, God sees them no differently than he sees Jeff Bezos. God sees them no differently than he sees our mayor, Amarjeet Sohi. God sees them no differently than me. God sees them no differently than you. And we live in a world 
that constantly evaluates people on, on economic viability, on physical appearance, on, on, on fame and followers, and says, that is what makes you valuable. God says no. And if we're going to be the people of God, then we ought to say no as well. Okay? So when we talk about justice, we're not talking about some vague idea. We're not talking about general feel-good platitudes. We're talking about very particularly having equal access to the justice system regardless of your economic viability. Can we go to the next one? This continues. And this is the prophet Isaiah. Now this is an interesting point because the people of Israel are now in trouble. God has started to judge them and he's condemning them. He's giving the law hundreds of years later. They're not following it. And this is how they're not following it. And, And Isaiah is making it clear to them. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Okay, so I don't... I don't want to, the ancient world was crazy, right? Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but like in the ancient world, sometimes rich people could get access to political rulers. Yeah. And sometimes those rich people could make it legal, like legal in the eyes of the law, to take advantage of poor people. I know, crazy, right? God doesn't like that. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. When the Bible talks about justice, it's talking about something very particular. That it is ensuring that fairness exists for people regardless of their power and their influence. Can we go to the next one? And this doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. It's not, like Jesus, uh, it's not like Jesus got rid of this. And what's interesting is that when we get into the New Testament at the time of Jesus, the people of Israel are no longer in power. They are subjects of the Roman Empire. And while the Roman Empire allows their religional society to exist because they don't really care about that, they are in charge of the laws and ensuring ju- justice is done. So the main power that, that the people of Israel have at this moment is through their religious structures. And Jesus... It's not like Jesus says that they're okay as well, because what's interesting is Jesus is now bringing woes upon the Pharisees. Pharisees were a very specific group of, uh, of, of scholars and followers, of, uh, followers of, of the Torah in their day. And if you find yourself reading the Bible, and if you're like me and you're kind of an evangelical person, and you grew up kind of an evangelical way, and you're like go, reading through the Gospels, and you're like, which people do I identify with? It's the Pharisees. We're the Pharisees, okay? I'm the Pharisees in this story. I was trained in Pharisaical Bible colleges. I was trained in Pharisaical seminaries. I was reared and trained in Pharisaical denominations because evangelicalism in our world today, we're the Pharisees, if you're wondering, okay? And anyone that wants to argue with you about that and say, like, no, we're actually the disciples, sometimes, sometimes, but if we're looking to be honest with ourselves in the way that we were taught, most of us that grew up like this, we are the Pharisees. And this is what Jesus says to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, and you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. 
The Pharisees are so clear in their religious convictions that they, that they tithe 10% of everything. So they go to their spice rack, right? And they've, and they've bought all of their spices. You know, they're mint and their dill and their cumin. And I don't know what other spices that you have in your house. I have many spices. Some of you have no spices at all. Um, because I had to learn spices. I grew, up in, I grew up in the Maritimes where all cooking was done by boiling things until they didn't look like anything anymore. <laughs> That's how you cooked all vegetables. You boiled ever, all evil and flavor out of things. And uh, <laughs> they would go to their spice rack and they would like take 10% of their mint and their 10% of their dill and 10% of their cumin and they would hive it off and they would say, aren't I wonderful? And then they would walk out on the Sabbath and they would see somebody in need of healing and they would walk directly by because we don't heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, woe to you. Congratulations, you've ticked all of your religious boxes and you forgot that the greatest commandment is love and fairness. You should, great, you should tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, that's awesome. It's awesome that you follow all of the rules. It's awesome that you show up in church every Sunday. It's awesome that all of your theology is right. But if that does not translate into you treating your neighbors well because they're created in the image of God, then we have missed the entire point of what Jesus came to teach us. And this continues throughout the New Testament as well because they have this problem that James addresses. If we can go to the next one. So James is the brother of Jesus. He's writing a general letter to, the, to all of the churches scattered all over kind of the diaspora around the Mediterranean Sea. And, and he says, uh, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil hearts? If we are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then we do not show favoritism. And we're not very good at this because we have all been part of evangelical culture. And what happens the first time the slightest minor celebrity happens to say anything about Jesus? What do we do? We slap them on a pedestal. We take them, no matter how immature they are, no matter how new they are, no matter how dangerous it is for them to start making public declarations about Christ because they've just got introduced to Jesus and they have no idea what they're talking about, and we just slap them up in front of a bunch of people and say, look what we won. Do we do that with the poor among us? Do we celebrate when someone who was experiencing homelessness comes to Jesus and gets victory over their addiction the same way we do when name your famous Instagram celebrity happens to post something about Jesus. In God's eyes, in God's eyes, those people are equal. In God's eyes, those people matter the exact same, and they both matter eternally. And it is a great way to measure our hearts to see how much we care about them. Which one do we value? 
So when we talk about the king is coming and the king is bringing justice, this is what we're talking about. If we can go to justice is honesty and fairness for all people regardless of economic status, ethnicity, country of origin, or social or political influence. Okay? That is what we mean. That is what we have been told. It's very clear biblically. It's repeated numerous times over and over again. It's not vague. And we need to be really clear that when the king is coming to bring justice, that this is what he is coming to bring. And this is the choice that we have as followers of Jesus. Are we going to be people who bring justice as well? Or are we going to be people who continue to form to the pattern of this world? That's the option that we have. It's this very simple choice that we have in front of us all the time. Every human that we encounter, am I going to conform to the pattern of this world? Or am I going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and recognize that this person, regardless of their status, is imbued with the image of God? That Jesus died for this person. That Jesus has eternal plans for this person. Am I going to acknowledge that or am I going to ignore it? And this is really important even in this shiny, loud season because a lot of what we talk about this, this time of year is Jesus coming as a baby. And it's beautiful that Jesus came as a baby. It's beautiful that God wrote himself into our, into our story of humanity. It's beautiful that God, the, the, that, that, that God, through Mary, put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's beautiful that, that all of those things happened and, and that he was swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That is a beautiful, beautiful and important story. But when we talk about the kingdom coming, with the king coming, that king is not coming as a baby. He already did that once. When we talk about the king coming, we're talking about something very, very different. Can we go to the next slide? This is what John saw in the book of Revelation when the king comes. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the king who is coming. Now you can applaud that. Everybody loves babies. Are you ready for this king? Because this is the king that is bringing justice. And it's good for us to align ourselves with that justice. And if you're the kind of person that has dedicated your life to, to fighting against your own instincts to judge people on their resources, and you're the kind of person that, that, is, that, that, that is 
organized and tried to organize your life again about genuinely providing justice and fairness, then, then, then you're excited about this king that's coming. And if you're a person who has been oppressed, if you're a person who has been crushed, if you're a person who has been treated unfairly, then you're excited about this king too, aren't you? Right? You're ready for this to come because all of those shoulds that you wanted to happen, they're going to happen when this king comes, right? When this king comes, there's not going to be people dying of cold in the street. I can tell you that much. All right? When this king comes, things are going to be right and they are going to be just. But if you're the kind of person that does evaluate people based on their economic viability, are you excited about this king? If you're the kind of person that has said it's okay for rich people to exploit other people because they just get to do that because they're rich, are you excited about this king coming? This king is not coming as a baby. And justice will flow like an everlasting stream. And that stream will either help you stand or it will wash you completely away. As followers of Jesus, we get the opportunity to align ourselves with this justice. It's going to take us no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds and seeing other people imbued with the image of God. And that's going to cost. Because it's easier to say, rich people, good, poor people, bad. We've been trained to do that our entire lives. It's easy to say, physically able person, less physically good, less physically able person, bad. That's a thing that we've been taught our entire lives. It's easy to go, beautiful person, good, less beautiful person, bad. We've been trained to do that our entire lives. We, as followers of Jesus together, need to say, no, we're not doing that anymore. And we fundamentally reject it in every way because it is not the way of justice and it is not the way of Jesus and it is not the way that we are going to live in eternity. So we're going to take communion